My parents did something for me during my school years, and I don't think I've ever actually really thanked them for it, and maybe I should. Uh, it's something that they used to do for me every year, and it was something that cost them. It used to cost them money. It had cost them, probably more painfully for them, it cost them the free labour that they would have usually gotten for one week of the school holidays a year. Um, it meant also that they had to travel for miles and miles and miles that they wouldn't have otherwise had to travel. At the beginning of every year, um, our family, there's three kids, me, my brother and my sister, we'd, we'd um, try our best to get hold of a brochure listing out all of the ISCF camps for the year. Now, ISCF stands for the Interschool Christian Fellowship and they were Christian camps run by Scripture Union of Queensland and they still run them today. And each of us kids would go through the list and we'd read all about all of the different camps um, and then we'd have to decide, well, which one are we going to go for and which, which set of holidays is it going to be in? So would we choose a cycling camp that would go through the Darling Downs and the South Burnett or, or would we go to one of the beach camps that was somewhere or there was always some kind of water sports camps, you know, ski camps on a dam somewhere or something or would we go on the, on the Mary River canoe camp and paddle down the Mary River for five days? That was my pick. I did that one many years in a row. Anyway, we'd, we'd pick one which we thought was going to be the most fun or sometimes we'd take into account, well, one of my mates, he'd really like to go on this camp and he'd come with me if I, if I chose this one. And, and we'd pick out a camp and that'd be the camp that we'd go on for that year. And mate, didn't we have fun? We just love those camps. They're fantastic. But also something that we didn't really think about at the time was we also had a great time of Christian fellowship. And that's only something you think of when you're older. When you're a young fellow, you don't really think that much about it. These camps were run by young, excited Christian leaders. And morning devotions, you know, we'd get out our Bibles and we'd go through passages and they'd take us places and teach us things and and ask us questions and and we'd we'd all talk about it in our little groups. And and then there'd be other times during the day, um, maybe just after lunch and... And then always at night time, often around a campfire at night, we'd sit down with these young Christian leaders and they would share their testimonies and they'd tell us why they followed Jesus and, and um, why they are disciples of Jesus Christ. We'd talk about God and why they believed. These camps were unashamedly Christian. And yep, they did give campers a really good time, but that wasn't one of their two major aims. The first major aim was to introduce us kids to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I saw many, many children, youth, coming and making a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ at those camps. But it was the second aim of these camps that have had the biggest and most lasting impact on my life. Being run by an organisation by the name of the Scripture Union of Queensland, it really shouldn't be any surprise that their second aim was to start getting people to read the Scriptures. And that's what it did for me. Um, It was aimed at getting primary schoolers and high schoolers to read their Bibles. And um, often when we went home, they'd hand us a a little booklet and it'd be a book which would take us to a Bible reading and we could read that Bible reading and then it'd tell us a little bit about it and then it'd ask us questions about it. And I'm pretty sure that it was those camps all those years ago that instilled into me a habit of daily reading the Bible. 
Um, it was never a perfect habit. I'm going to be very honest with you and tell you that right now. It was never a perfect habit uh, because sometimes I would just stop for no apparent reason. One day I'd just be too tired and I just wouldn't do it. And then the next day, oh, I don't want to do any catching up. And then the next day, and sometimes it would go for months before I'd pick up the Bible and start reading it again. Um, but eventually there'd be someone or something that would challenge me. And Michael, are you reading the Bible? Uh, no, I'm not. And I'd start again. And I'd continue again. Maybe, maybe I should ring my mum up the Savo and say, Mum, I don't, I don't know if your dad ever really knew what you're doing for us when you sent us off to those camps. Maybe you did. But um, I just want to thank you for, for what you did for me. Parents, your kids are never too young to start them off reading the Bible. And if they're too young to read, you can read it to them. I remember I used to have this little book when I was a kid, Teddy Bear, Teddy Bear, Turn Around, Teddy Bear, Teddy Bear, Touch the Ground. Does anyone know that story? Oh, somebody does? Yeah? Well, I knew it off by heart. Because we would, we would read that book every day and, and, um, and the pages in the, th- in the book, were, well, they were almost like boards, they were like cardboard, they'd last and last and this book never wore out. Um, so, yep, every day, I couldn't read but I knew the words. And, but imagine if we were just reading the scriptures to our kids, um, what they learn and take in. And there's probably more than a few adults here who are not in the current habit of daily reading the scriptures. And I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty because, look, I've been there. I've already told you that. I've, I've been there. But I cannot say it any simpler than this. If you have a desire to be closer to God, if you have a desire to be in a deeper relationship with your Lord, to have a greater spiritual awareness, to gain wisdom and insight into God's ways, there is no better way to do it than to begin reading the scriptures daily and praying about what you've just read. I cannot put it any simpler than that. And maybe I could just leave the sermon at that because I can't say it any simpler. You think about it, if you if you want to play footy and you start turning up at training once a week, to, okay, this is my training for footy, then, yep, the, the footy training and, and the bit of practice that you had there, yep, that's going to make you a little bit better and maybe a little bit fitter. But you're going to have a lot of trouble keeping up with everybody else on the footy field if that's the only training you're doing. See, if you're going to be training for footy, you, you need to be going for a run probably most days of the week. And you may need to be doing a few other exercises, otherwise when they start getting you doing the exercises there in front of everybody, you're just going to be left way behind. And maybe you need to be practising with the, with the actual football for a little bit during the week as well, so you can get some ball skills. And it's the same with our walk with God. Coming along to church once a week to get fed on the Scriptures, the Word of God... To have somebody who's a Bible teacher to explain to you the scriptures, well, that's great. That's fantastic. And, and you will be growing in God by, by doing that. Going along to a Bible study group once a week where you can sit down with other men or other women or, or, or other youth to read the Bible together and to discuss the scriptures and to pray together, well, that's, that's a fantastic way to grow in God. But if you really, really want to deepen your relationship with your Heavenly Father, nothing 
will take the place of daily prayer and daily reading of God's word. Nothing will do that. In the past, there have been times when people have made me feel guilty because I haven't been reading the Bible every day. And for some people, they act as if they worship Father, Son and Holy Scripture instead of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Um, And I've got to tell you, for me, to maintain a habit of daily reading the Bible is not an easy thing. I'm actually a pretty slow reader. My wife will tell you that. Uh, She'll read three or four books in the time it takes me to read one. Um, And that's if I'm really trying hard. Um, And there's always something there to distract me when I'm reading the Bible. And sometimes I might read a couple of paragraphs or maybe three or four paragraphs and go, all of a sudden it dawns on me that I've actually been thinking of something else the whole time while I've been reading those words and I haven't taken it in. I have no idea what I've just read. I have to go back and read it again. For me, it's, it's actually been something pretty hard. And sometimes it's like people look down their noses at you and go, oh, you can't be a very good Christian because... Yeah, you can't really love Jesus, otherwise you'd be right into his word. You'd be reading it morning, noon and night. You'd have it all memorised and, and you'd be able to quote chapter and Bible verse and you'd have just the right verse on the tip of your tongue for every single occasion. And so there have been times when I've been made to feel guilty for not reading the Bible. And I've been left with that feeling, if only I can just try that little bit harder. If only I can just make myself and, and, and do this and then, then I will be the good Christian that everybody wants me to be. Um, but that's not what it's about. Reading the Bible isn't a duty to make us a better Christian. It's not what it's about. God loves me just as much when I'm not reading the Bible as what he does when I am. I am forgiven just as efficiently whether I'm reading the Bible or whether I'm not. That's not what it's about. What it's about is receiving from God the very best that God has to offer us. And if I'm not reading the scriptures, I know now that I'm missing out on something. You see... I get to know God better when I am reading his word. I I, I begin to see and understand and know better the grace and the mercy that God has poured out for me. Because as I'm reading the Bible, there they are, the apostles are explaining it all to me and it's just, wow. I learn about the character of God. And I reflect in wonder at his love, his patience, his forbearance, his justice, his mercy, his sacrifice. And it's there, it's right through the Bible, right through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It all just comes together in one continuous story as we just see this this God who just loves his people so much, being so hurt that we turn our backs on him. But then he comes in and he gives of himself to restore us to him. And it's just one continuing story. It just comes alive when you read it. As I read his word, I discover the promises that God makes to us. And as I study it more and more, I begin to understand the differences between the promises that he made to Israel all those years ago and the promises that he makes to us today. As I read his word, I'm continually reminded... This life's short, Michael. 
You should be living for eternity. Not just living for whatever everybody else is living for. And when you start living for eternity, and as you read God's word, you, you see that you know, even when, when life is all crud, you know, and everything bad is happening, it's all going to be good in the long run. And so it gives me hope. And as I read his word, I, I find a natural resistance to false teaching seems to become just built in. Because as you're reading it, there's the truth, just right there. It's just there and you're just reading it and you're taking it in and you're getting to know God and you're, you're absorbing his truth. And so then when somebody starts telling porky pies, you can realise the lies for what they are. If I'm not reading his word, I'm missing out on all of this. And then there's what we're going to discover today and Robin's already talked about with the kids. If we're not reading God's word, we're we're missing out on the power of God's word to stand strong against the evil one. We've been working our way through the armour of God and today we've come to the very final piece, the sword. And maybe that's a favourite piece, isn't it, the kids? When they did it in Sunday school, was the sword the favourite piece? Yep. And so it should. The sword is a, a thing of action. You can do so much with a sword. You know, your shield, you can just, just block stuff. But with a sword, you can parry. You, know, you can block the swords of the enemy and, and you can do a bit of stabbing yourself and slashing. And, oh. you know, when, when you're a little boy, any kind of stick becomes a sword. Yeah, swords are great things. So we've been working our way through the armour of God and, and we've come to the final piece, the sword. And verse 17 says, Take up, sorry, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And a few weeks ago, before we went on holidays, we were talking about salvation and how this salvation that we, it's something we have to take. It uses the word take, and that doesn't mean steal away, doesn't mean grab hold of, it means receive. Right, So salvation is on offer from God. God's saying, I want to give you salvation. I want to save you. But we have to be people who want to be saved and say, yes, Lord, I do want to be saved. Please save me. I'll have, I receive that salvation. And it's exactly the same with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is available. God is wanting to speak to us, to every one of us. But we have to be willing to be spoken to. And we have to be willing to hear it. We've just got to receive it and open our eyes, open our ears and hear what God is saying to us. There are countries in the world where the Bible is a prohibited item. And Christians in those places are starving for God's word. And when Bibles are smuggled into places like such as North Korea and get placed into the hands of Christians under severe persecution, to them it's like, wow, this is the greatest thing that you could ever have given me. And I've actually um, had a bit of joy over over last year. There's a couple of kids who have come to me and um, I can't even remember who they all were now. But, and they've come and they've shown me a Bible. Look, look, Mr. Brumpton. Look what, look what I got for Christmas. So look what I got for my birthday. And just so excited that they've been given a Bible. And um, I'm seeing Declan looking up at his dad. I think Declan might have been one of those lads. But somebody else did it too. And um, 
That excites me. But then, for many of us, the Bible is a book that sits on the bookshelf, maybe on the bedside table, maybe in a drawer beside our bed, and it never gets opened. The Word of God is available. All Christians have access to the Word of God, and so we are urged to receive this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God is speaking. All we have to do is be wanting to hear Him. But what is the Word of God? So far today I've been talking about as if the Bible is the Word of God. And it is. But it's more than the Bible. Because the Bible very clearly teaches us that that God still speaks to us today. And we should be expecting to hear from God. In the Greek, Rima Theou. Has anyone ever heard that word before? Rima? There's a couple of Christian radio stations around that I know of and they are called Radio Rima because the word Rima in, in the Greek means word. There's a couple of different words but the, the word Rima Theo, Theo meaning of God, so it means the word of God. It is the divine utterance or speech, the, the words that come from God. And of course the Bible is packed full of words from God. But the Word of God becomes living and active and powerful not by being ink on a page. The Word of God becomes living and active and powerful through the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. It's not a paper sword. It's not an ink sword. It's not even a cardboard sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. Because God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. Rima Theu is the word that God speaks and as such it includes prophecy from God. Now, this is where we've got to be careful because there's prophecy from God and then there's false prophecy because the devil tries to mimic stuff. And that's why we learnt the very first piece of armour that we looked at was the belt of truth. And so everything has to be of the truth of God. Um, so it includes prophecy. Right here in Ephesians, Rema is used as the gospel itself. And so when the gospel is preached, this is the word of God. Right? So the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, is what God says. And God speaks through the Bible, God speaks through prayer, God speaks through circumstances that happens to us, and God speaks through other Christians as well. And the sword of the Spirit is available to all who will receive it. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to me. God wants to speak to us as a church and us as a community of Christians in this town. He just wants to have a people who want to start listening, who are willing to listen. And of course, God's written word, and that's why I talked so much about the Bible at the start. God's written word, the Bible, remains our primary source and the most trusted way in which God speaks to us today. The Bible is the unchanging and the ever-reliable word of God against which all other voices must be tested. So, today, I'm just going to briefly share with you now three ways 
that the word of God is a sword. How the word of God is a sword that protects us from the attacks of the devil. And how the word of God is also something that we can use to go on the offensive against the devil, to cut him down. So firstly, the word of God counteracts lies or the half-truths of the devil. Um, If all the devil ever did was told you lies, it'd be very easy to recognise, but it's when it's half-truths that it tends to trick us up. Now here's an example. When Je- after Jesus was baptised, the very first thing that happened to Jesus is he was led out into the desert and there he was tempted by the devil. And every time the devil tempted him, he sort of gave him things that, oh yeah, oh, that could help me fulfil my mission. But then Jesus says, ah, but it is written. And he'd, he'd, he'd quote the Old Testament because the, he was still forming the New Testament, wasn't he? Right? So he would quote the word of God as recorded in the Old Testament. And he would use that to deflect away the temptation. So here it is in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I think we'd all be hungry, wouldn't we? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, there's that word again, rima, by every rima that comes from the mouth of God. So he quoted scripture, no Satan, I'm not going to do that. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him in the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Here's the devil, he's quoting scripture himself, taking out context and and saying these things and and trying to twist scripture and get Jesus to do it. And Jesus says, ah, it's also written, you shall, sorry, I'm I'm wrong spot. Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and and behold the angels came and were ministering to him. Every time Satan came and tried to tempt him, Jesus said, ah, here's a scripture that says, oh, don't do that. You're wrong. I'm not going to do it. Now, those temptations, I don't know if you've ever really thought about these, um, they're actually specific temptations to Jesus. I mean, you and I, you're not going to be tempted by the same things as what I'm tempted by. And I'm not tempted by the same things as what Jesus was tempted by. I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time I was tempted to turn stones into bread. Anybody tempted to do that in the last few days? No. I can't remember the last time I was up on the top of a very tall building and thought, ooh, I might jump off so the angels can save me. Uh, I can't remember the last time I was tempted to do that. These are very specific temptations to Jesus. And the temptations that we have will be different to the temptations he had. So, So you might be tempted to gossip. You've come by this 
very juicy piece of information and, and you want to quietly tell it to somebody else. But you're reminded that the word of God says that gossip is one of the most vilest of sins. It's right there in Romans chapter 1 where it outlines all of the bad things and why we're all going to hell and why we all need Jesus. It's right there. Or you might be tempted to um, store up a big heap of money or a big heap of stuff. You might be tempted to accumulate more and more houses or more and more farms or, or more and more superannuation so you can have a really good and relaxed and comfortable retirement when you die. You hear what I said there? Because that's what happens. We store up all this stuff and then we die. But then you know the word of God and it says, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or, when God has commanded us to share the good news out into the world, and he has commanded us to do that, by the way. But, but then we sort of go, Oh, but, but people are finding this offensive. Surely God wouldn't want me to be doing that. Surely God wouldn't want that. Well, it makes me very uncomfortable. God won't mind. God won't mind if I'm not sharing the good news just now. But then we read in Acts chapter 5, where it says, when the apostles were in exactly the same thing, and they said, we must obey God rather than men. We don't care what other people think. We've been told to share the gospel. We're going to keep doing it. Or somebody might have done something really nasty to you. And Satan's come in with his little sword and going, you've got a right to bear a grudge. You have the right to be angry with that person. You have the right. You don't need to forgive them. But the word of God says... If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, cuts right through these temptations. And these temptations, they all, they all grow in us through lies. You know... These lies that we start to believe, you know, it's not really gossip because I know it's true. It's not really gossip. I'm not really greedy. Some say has got heaps more than me. I'm not greedy. Well, look, God's loving and merciful. I don't have to be obedient to him all the time. Not in everything. I, I have the right to be unforgiving. All these little lies that, that keep getting thrown at us, these lies that we start to believe, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, just cuts right through them. Jesus has a way of saying, taking what's grey and making it black and white. You know, people have said so many times, you Christians, you're so black and white. Well, that's because we can't like our Heavenly Father. He's black and white. But the thing is, God loves the black and the white. Yeah? He just wants to save us all. Secondly, the word of God saves those who are perishing. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, through the rema of Christ. 
when the gospel is preached, that's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. When you share your faith with somebody, that's not just a physical act. When you share your faith with somebody, there's something deeply spiritual happening. You have drawn the sword of the Spirit. You mightn't know this. You just think you're just telling somebody why you believe in Jesus and inviting somebody else to believe in him too. Inviting somebody else to give their hearts to the Lord. But when you're doing that, you're in a spiritual battle. And it's not a battle that you and I can fight. It, it, it's a battle that God does. I mean, there's no way I can convince somebody to give their hearts to God. That's what God does. That's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God gives, gives life to the words and, and starts to work in people's hearts. The only part that we can play in it is to simply speak the word of God, the gospel of Christ. And we draw the sword. And it's a sword that is, that is sharp enough to cut the heart. It cuts loose the shackles of sin that bind us. The word of God is the power to save those who are perishing. Thirdly, the word of God helps us to be strong in God's promises. This whole image of the armour of God is to enable us to stand, to stand strong. Now sometimes in life, Things don't go so well, do they? A loved one dies of cancer before their time. A son or a daughter starts running amok and makes a mess out of their lives and the parent, grieving parent knows there's nothing they can do about it. A secure job is snatched away. A Christian is sent to prison because they believe or they're executed because they've preached the gospel. Bad stuff happens. And a lot of modern Western Christians these days can't handle that sort of stuff because we've somehow gotten it into our heads an expectation of life that matches up better with the Hindu idea of karma than what it does with true Christian discipleship. You see, we get it into our heads that provided I do everything good, everything good should happen to me. You know, provided you know, I've given my life to Christ, I'm following God, I, I sing praises, I, I pray, I do everything, it's going to all be good for me. But that's not the way of discipleship. God's word has told us to expect trouble. God's word has told us to expect persecutions. God's word has told us to expect tribulation. But, but, with this expectation of trouble and persecutions and tribulations, the Lord gives us a promise and it's a promise that we can stand on and we know that it is true. God's word says to expect persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's good news there, hey? Anyone think that's good news? Yeah. These are wonderful promises. And then we turn, when you read in your Bible, you get to the very end of the book and we can see what this new world's going to be like. It's been promised and hinted at right the way through. 
then we can see what it's going to be like. All evil is gone. All those who have been made righteous in Christ will live in the very presence of God. Now, is anyone looking forward to that? I am. And those who have persecuted the believers and the one who's been pulling the strings all these years, Satan, the one between the one upon whom the, 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 this spiritual battle is being fought will be bound and cast into hell where he will not torment us anymore. This is a promise of God. It's a promise that we can stand on and do stand on. And so yet yeah, there are going to be tough times now And some of us might be going through tough times right now. But the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God that helps us to stand strong in the Lord reminds us of all these promises that we can depend on. It's not going to be like that forever. It's going to be far, far better. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Friends, God speaks. God speaks today. We've just got to want to hear him. And sometimes God says stuff to us and and we just don't want to hear what he's said. Sometimes when God speaks, it's going to, actually often when God speaks, it's going to require major changes in our lives. Changes that will disturb us. Changes that will take us to places we don't want to go. Changes that we might think make other people think less of us. But God speaks. And if you want to hear God better, start listening. You might be sitting here thinking, well, I, I really, really do want to hear God. I just, don't, I, I just don't understand what you're saying, Michael. I don't know how God can speak to me. And if that's you, just sometime today, over Smoko, why don't you say, Michael, come and see me during the week. I'll give you a cup of tea and we can talk about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I want to thank you that your word is good and true and perfect. Lord, I want to thank you that your word is life-changing and that it always changes us for the better. Lord, we confess that there have been times, and for some of us it might actually be a current time, when, when... we've actually shut your word out. It's like we've stuck our fingers in our ears because we know that you're saying something to us but we don't want to listen. God, forgive us. And Lord, do your work in our hearts. Lord, pour your Holy Spirit into us and, and help us to just desire to know you deeper and deeper. And help us to listen. Lord, I want to thank you for for your written word. Lord, I want to thank you that 
the words that bring life are there that we can begin reading and Lord we, we don't want to be a people who just feel guilty because we haven't and who just read our Bible out of a sense of duty Lord we want to be a people who live day by day by the word of God we want to be a people who we just want to be the best that we can be. We, we want to receive from you, Lord, what we can only receive through your word. Lord, we just open ourselves to you, for you to speak to us in all of the possibilities of your ways. You would speak to us through the Bible, that you would speak to us through prayer, that we would begin to see what you're saying to us through circumstances in our lives and that we would be able to hear you speaking to us through even other Christians. I'm thinking right now of all those years ago, back when the prophet Eli gave Samuel, a young little boy, the advice, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And Lord, we're just going to take this advice right now and say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Amen.